Welcome to The Plan, where we discuss the power of planning to meet the challenges of life's rites of financial passage. We know it's going to come. Either we go first or our spouse does. And if we're the ones left living, there isn't just debilitating grief to deal with, but a mountain of tasks to perform, even with the tidiest of estates. These dual paths of mourning and maintenance can be daunting, to say the least. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Smith, host of The Plan, and with me today to talk about this intense rite of passage is Cynthia Thompson, Senior Relationship Manager at Charles Stephen, one of the Southwest's leading financial planning firms and the sponsor of this podcast. Welcome, Cynthia. Hi. It's really great to have you here today. Um, you are the person at Charles Stephen who makes sure the firm follows a maze of regulations and procedures that keeps clients' portfolios safe and secure. And maybe an unfair assumption, one would think that your own house is in really good order. But you suffered a terrible loss yourself almost eight months ago. Can you tell us about that? Um, my husband got sick unexpectedly, and within a week he was gone. And yeah. It so was hard. sudden and pretty devastating. Yes, very much so. Your husband's name was Michael. Yes. And this was, um, again, unexpected. Um, and so tell me a little, if you can, tell me a little bit about what, what sort of tasks were you faced with immediately upon his passing? The immediate ones is actually almost comical in a twisted sort of way, I couldn't access his phone. So people were leaving messages for him. I didn't have the passcode to get into his phone to reach out to individuals. Most of his contacts was in his phone, so I couldn't reach family members. I didn't have passwords for his email address or his Facebook account, just little things, mundane items, but I couldn't I was paralyzed. I didn't have the info. Wow. I mean, I didn't even think about that, that, you know, you have to really pry into your spouse's, you know, private space um, and and take care of as if you were him, right? Very much so. Very yeah. much so. Um, and how, how was that process of, of getting into his phone? What did you have to do? Um, his phone was just to see, it was four it was four numbers so i just ran all combinations of dates that were important to him and i finally found that oh wow okay. um his i his pc his laptop excuse me was a macbook that actually took a, almost an act of god i had to go in make the request I had to wait a week for them to verify the information and, I gave and them. And this is Apple, right? Yeah. Okay. Verify the information that I had given them. And then they gave me a passcode to get into that. Oh, wow. Um, it was daunting. Yeah. Yeah, to say the least. And then, of course, you've got to deliver the news to people who are inquiring. Because he had gotten sick and he it was several days, right, before yeah, he passed. Yeah, exactly. So once word got out that he was sick, people were calling. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Hey, Mike, what's going on? Hey, Mike, I heard this. I heard that. I'm worried about you. What's going on? I didn't know who these people were, so I had no way of letting them know what was going on 
because they were communicating with him directly. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Michael and his, you know, he was a big presence in a community. Um, he was an artist. He was beloved by many people. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Michael was a singer, a performer, a producer. If there was anything in the entertainment genre, he did something in it. Um, he was in plays. He was a member of, I guess, of one of the cover bands that's been considered a staple of New Mexico. He was what a was that name? Fat City. Fat City. Okay. So he was a active member of that band. He had at least five other bands that I knew of, and I only knew of Michael for a little bit more than 12 years. So prior to that, there were even more bands than that. He did plays, he produced shows, he at least three, two to three times a year, the APAC, African American Performing Arts Center, would have him produce a show, and he would gather performers to be a part of it. It was always it was always a production, but it was always a fun thing because you got to work with some amazing talent yeah. that we have in this town. So in essence, you really shared Michael with a lot of people. Yes, <laughs> very much so. And his his passing didn't just happen to you, even though you were his spouse, at the center of his personal life. You have all these people that loved him. It, it was comforting, but at times it was exhausting. Yeah. Because I had to be the strength for them. Right, right. So you had to you had to step out of your own grief. and To provide the information and the comfort for other people. So yeah. that was hard. And your own personality, and, and if I may, I mean, the way that I know you, you, you are a, a woman who does not emote very much yourself to other people. Yeah. And, and so you're not. Um, you're not a performer yourself, correct, right? Correct. So it's fair to say that you probably wanted time to yourself a lot during this process. Very much so, mm -hmm. and that wasn't the that wasn't given to me. One of the things that I used to share with people, Michael was the front person. I was the stage manager in our relationship, so uh -huh. I was behind the scenes. I kept things going, but no one knew of me. Yeah. And I get thrown on the stage. Right. Oh. So you, you, you had to carry on these very personal communications with people, some of whom you did not even know. Yes. And then there is the worldly things that have to happen when, when a spouse dies. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I found that Michael had a bank account. Not a whole lot of money in it, but it was a bank account. It was in his name only. So I had to file paperwork to gain access to it. Common, you would think because I was his spouse, I had document to show that, that wasn't enough. I still I needed to go through court to get probate paperwork for me to have access. Um, that was one of the reasons why I'd mentioned to the advisors about making sure accounts have beneficiaries attached to it. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. You were you were um you didn't know he had this account and then you had to go to probate. Well, I knew he had the account. I mean, okay. I was aware of it and he had I knew he had a bank card to access it. Okay. That was another code I didn't know. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to start all over from scratch with that. And and you would you mentioned uh, to the financial advisors here at Charles Stephen the other day about having the the sort of safeguards for beneficiaries. Can mm-hmm. you go into that a little bit? Sure. Um, a lot of people think that if you have a will, you're good, you're fine, you have nothing else to worry about. But banks don't read wills. They read, they want the simplest form possible, and that's a letter of testament or that assigns you as personal rep or that assigns you executive of an estate. So with or without a will, if you don't have that paperwork, they're not going to talk to you. So it's an instrument that is called a letter of testament that outlines this is Cynthia, my spouse, and she is. She's in charge of this. She's in charge of the estate. Fascinating that a will itself would not cover that. The only thing a will does with regards to that is it tells the it tells the courts that yes, this is the deceased person's intentions. But again, most financial institutions are not going to read the will. Yeah, we had a an episode. Um, last season about inheritance and in uh, an estate on a person's death really becomes a it's almost public property right right because it goes into a court system where the state has a vested interest in making sure that that will is executed properly correct so you it's it's almost as if it's not just your um it, it's not your estate anymore. It's it's the it's the law, and there's so many laws that govern this, right? Very much so. And you have to interact with that all of a sudden, as if you were just somebody off the street, right? Yeah. Until you prove otherwise. Yeah, exactly. You have to prove that you are not someone off the street. Otherwise, they take it. That must have been really painful. It was because in my situation, it wasn't like it was a lot of money. But I've also dealt with people that have had larger estates. They didn't have a beneficiary. They had a will, yeah. but a beneficiary wasn't attached. So they still had to go through the same process that I did. Wow. Yeah. So you, 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 were, you gained access to that bank account. Yes. And um, I imagine, too, that you have to then make arrangements for a burial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, you know, I, I know how um, gruesome that can be, not only in a physical sense, but in an emotional sense, too. Very much so. We had talked about that before. So how we were going to spend our end times, that was discussed. Yeah. So it wasn't a matter of me trying to decide what his, what his wishes would be. I did have that conversation with him, and I did know that. I wish that maybe he had had the conversation with his family. So Michael had a family prior to your marriage. Yes. Right. Um, So there were children involved. Um, And then, you know, and I'm sure this happens a lot uh, in second marriages where you all of a sudden have to deal with um, people who you maybe don't even know that well. Yes. There was a lot of that. Yeah. Because most of his family, with the exception of his children, most of his family were out of state. I see. So I met a lot of people because of his passing that I had never met before. Most of them I hadn't even heard of before. 
So right. that was definitely interesting. Yeah. Lots of potential for conflict, I imagine. Yeah. So, um, but because we had the conversations, I was confident in my decisions, but they didn't have the conversation. So at times they were questioning me or trying to not make my life difficult, but definitely doing somewhat of a pushback because, you know, well, my brother wouldn't want that or we really should try to do this for my brother. And my thought is, when's the last time you saw your brother? Oh, I see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just can't imagine, um, you know, the, the, the two-pronged approach you have to take here. You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to, well, you can say got to all you want, but then... How often, you know, how can you do that when you have all these other things you have to do? These, uh, you know, the trips to the bank, trips to, uh, you know, maybe a funeral home to get trips to a medical examiner to get a death certificate. All that stuff is going on. Yeah. And the joys of having to do that while we're still in COVID phase. Didn't even think about that either. Didn't help. Wow. So a lot of things were backed up. A, there was a lot of delay. There was a lot of phone calls that had to be made just to follow up. Where are we on this? Where are we with that? So that didn't help the situation. It just took something that should have been a little bit simpler because I knew what to do mm -hmm. to a nightmare. So many people that go through this, um, they have the benefit of being retired. But that can sometimes be a liability, too, because you had a full-time job. Yes. And was the full-time job a source of comfort for you, or was it a burden? It was a comfort because if I came to work, I didn't have to think about the other stuff. I I was relationships manager at Charles Stephen. I wasn't a spouse that was dealing with someone that just lost a loved one. Right. You're so not in your house all day long. I was focusing on work. Yeah. So that was a distraction that kept me sane because being home without having him there was, it was hard. I bet. I bet. And you, do you have any children at home? Um, I have one. I have my son, the youngest. He's still home with me. Okay. So at least you had some company, but I can, yes. I can I'm, I'm thinking about if your if your children are grown and living in other places and and yeah, I have a lot of that too. You do, okay. <laughs> you have a very extended yes. Family. <laughs> um, so anything else you want to tell us about what was what was next? Um, you know, after these more immediate um, tasks are having to be performed, what came after? I like how you use the word perform. Because I felt like I was performing as I was going through that. Once that was over, that's when the emotional reality hit. And can you, can you tell us how, how how long after Michael's passing that that hit you? It would hit in spurts. Like I'd be fine, and then I'm trying to think. The first thing, his sister was in town, and we had. Backstory, we had just recently moved. So his sister was in town. She was staying at the house. 
and the heat wasn't working. I hadn't been in the house long enough to learn how to use it. I see. So, crap. He's not here to fix this. I have to fix this. I have to figure out what to do. Because Michael took care of all that stuff. Michael took care of all that. Um, Daylight savings. I didn't know how to change any of my clocks because that was his obsession. Really? So little things. And when you get hit with something so minute as changing the time on your microwave, you just lose it. Wow. Yeah, it really hits you at those points. Yeah, so it it still comes and goes. There are some days that are fine. There are other days I'm doing a task that he never had anything to do with. And it would still upset me. I would still all of a sudden go into that mode of, where are you? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's very profound, those, when you're talking about just changing the clock on a microwave. Uh, it's even when you're in a whole place. I mean, sometimes that can be a, a chore. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, it's one of the times I went to go see one of his friends perform, a very good friend of ours. And she sang a song. For the life of me, I don't think I ever heard Michael sing this song, but it made me cry because it made me think of him. Hmm. Other times I would hear songs, I would think of him, and it made me feel good. So there's no, I think that's the hardest part because there is no rhyme or reason to how you're feeling or when you're feeling it. Yeah, right. And especially when, again, Michael was a man who, left a mark on lots of different places in yes, the community. very much so. So you you have more chances to be reminded of him. Yes. Sometimes when you don't want that reminder. Yeah. You also uh, put together quite a remembrance for him, um, which as someone who never met him, I was really moved by when I went to it. Um, was that a... Was that a mixed bag in in putting that on? Um, so for the benefit of our listeners, there was a, a celebration of Michael's life at the old Highland Theater uh, where there was lots of music, lots of remembrances from his colleagues and his friends. Um, did you Did you pretty much produce that yourself? I didn't produce it. Per se, I had my input as far as who was performing, and I gave the okay as to what they were performing. Um, Catherine McGill, she actually did all that, and then I just helped with the minutia behind it. Okay. I was the stage manager of that particular production. Um, If I would have had my way, it never would have happened because I'm a private person. Yeah. Michael was not a private person. So that's a really huge point. You have to kind of forget about your own needs. Yes. <laughs> to satisfy almost his needs from beyond this life. Yes. The real act of love. Yeah. It was it was therapeutic for me as we were going through the motions, but initially, yeah, it was hard having someone call me so-and-so wants to be a part of this. I don't care. They want to sing this. I don't care. Well, what do you want to do? I don't know. I don't care. Why are you asking me? 
And I understand the reason why they kept factoring me into it is because I was his wife. But then there was a point of me, it's like, well, I'm not the only wife he has in town. Call someone else. Leave me alone. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> so Michael had uh, his previous spouse lived in town as well, right? I was number three, and all three of us lived here. Okay. Did you have much of a relationship with these other women? With the second one, yes. The first one, I never had an opportunity to meet okay. face-to-face. We've communicated via Facebook. Yeah. So if you're talking to um, another another wife, and, and I say wife because so often wives are outliving their husbands. Yes. Uh, just statistically, that is the the norm. Um, What would you want them to know to be prepared for? Um, Have the the account information. Um, Talk to them about the beneficiary factor. Putting someone down as a beneficiary doesn't say that they have my stuff. They don't get your stuff until you leave. Because someone, you can be a beneficiary but someone else is going to administer that exactly if it's, if it's not outlined specifically. Absolutely, no. Actually, no. That's not correct. Oh, okay. If there's a beneficiary signed, regardless of what the will may say, regardless of what the administrator may come and do, if a beneficiary is attached, they have to honor that. The invest, the financial institution has to honor the beneficiary factor. Okay. Okay. That can also bite you in the butt if. You don't change your beneficiary, and you meant to. Right. We there was an item in our uh, newsletter not too long ago about making sure your beneficiaries are up to date. Exactly. Because exactly. so many people, I mean, people may have a four hundred one k plan from a job they had a long time ago, and they couldn't tell you who the beneficiary was at that point in their life. But that's going to be the beneficiary on their death. Exactly. Exactly. I've seen that more times than not when they've divorced and they never updated their paperwork. So their ex-wife is getting the monies and there's nothing you can do about it. Wow. Okay. But other than that, the emotional aspect, what has gotten me through is talking to other women or other people that have lost partners. Yeah. We comfort each other because we both understand what we're going through. Well, and I would I would imagine that at Charles Stephen, you all are very good at this because uh, estates um, are a big part of what you do every day. Yes, and preparation for uh, passing. One thing that st- has struck me is, no matter how much you plan, there are still going to be things that happen that you didn't plan for. Absolutely, absolutely. Because you can't control a, a person's body, what happens to that body, either an illness or an accident or anything else that may take somebody. So uh, would it be fair to say to, you know, as much as you try to prepare, prepare for the unpreparable? Yeah, very much so. Um, one of the forms that we have, and usually the advisors will give to their clients during one of the meetings. It's called, um, excuse me, um, legal documents inventory, where you specify what docs you have. Like Michael had a medical directive. I knew where that was. So I was able to 
to show them, hey, this is what he wants. Okay. Leave me alone. I know this is his decision. Not only do I know it by our conversations, I have it in writing. Okay. So um, having all of those documents. Having those documents and knowing where they are. Because when you're going through grief, you're not thinking. The whole mindset of, oh, I'm un in control, that goes out the window. Yeah. But I've always, I always keep my docs in one location. So I know where they are and my children know where they are. I've heard the, the word autopilot used a lot. Yeah. And sometimes that does not work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it's, it's, you're on a ride that you're really not driving. Exactly. Exactly. Any last words for um, our audience? If you're going through it, let your emotions run their course. Trying to control them is the worst thing you can do. If you know someone that's going through it, you're more helpful if you listen to them than you are by giving them catchy phrases to, in hopes it'll make them feel better. So no, don't try to fix whatever they're going Don't try to fix it um, by your actions or your words, because all you're really doing is making it worse. Well, Cynthia, I am so grateful for your generosity to, to share with us your experience, because it's, no one likes to talk about death. No one likes to talk about surviving, losing somebody. But it is um, a fundamental rite of passage for Absolutely. everyone. So thank you so much. And for everybody who's listening, thank you for joining us. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Charles Stephen. Securities offered through Sage Point Financial Incorporated, SPF, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through the Ameriflex Group. SPF is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of SPF. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the presenter and may not come to pass. This information is subject to change at any time based on market and other conditions and should not be construed as a recommendation of any specific security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Please coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation.